Hey, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen, where I talk to a different creative professional every week about how they do their thing. But I'm not doing that this week. Oh, no. This is my year-end holiday mashup podcast, and I want you to think of it as like a Whitman sampler of just odds and ends and bits of different people. I'm going to be checking in with some former podcast guests with some updates and some stories and some lists, which we all love at the end of the year. But before I get to that, I want to remind everyone that they can go to DennisAnyone.net. You can do a lot of fun things there. You can subscribe to my newsletter. You can take my audience poll. And you can also buy merch, which I keep forgetting to talk about. Um, If you're interested in buying either of my novels or my DVD, the Dennis Hensley 5-pack, or a CD of music I put out in 2000, because sometimes people still listen to CDs from 2000. Um, all the links are there on DennisAnyone.net. Um, you can also leave a little uh, shekel in my tip jar. It helps me keep the podcast free. And I'd like to thank John Michael Beck for generously uh, donating this week. It's much, much appreciated. Um, what else do I want to tell you? This has been quite a year. It's been full of challenges and some wonderful highlights and One of the biggest joys from this year was doing this podcast, Um, so thank you all for listening. I was at a party recently, and there were people there that that had kind things to say about it, and it meant so much, and um, they were telling me what it's about, because I don't always know what it's about. Um, I think it's a... Somebody said it was like people that have chosen to do sort of difficult things or go, you know, not the safe route and what that's like. I, I like that. I think that's true. And um, I also wanted to um, thank you for the joy it brings to me to do it. I remember um, a few years ago, I interviewed Katy Perry. um, And at the time, a friend of mine was going through a tough time. And he said that the song Firework was his inspiration, which has a whole new meaning if you go see the interview, which I did on Christmas Day. But that's a tangent. Anyway... So when I interviewed her, I said, you know, my friend's going through a tough time and his song, your song Firework, really inspires him. And Katie said to me, she goes, I feel like I'm doing the right thing when I'm singing that song. And that's how I feel about this podcast. I feel like I'm doing the right thing when I'm doing it. And whenever I leave somebody, I'm always um, inspired and uplifted and feel good. So thank you for listening and for um, contributing to that. Because let's face it, the rest of the year has been a shit show. Sometimes literally. But again, that's another tangent. All right, let's get this um, year-end holiday mashup started with a visit from my very first Dennis Anyone podcast guest, TV writer and performer, Jackie Clark. Yay! Applause. If I were doing sound effects, there would be applause there. All right, I am here in the South Pasadena home of my very first Dennis Anyone podcast <laughs> guest, Jackie Clark. Hello. This is so, like, the best of, this I is know. your life, and you're coming there. <laughs> now, the last time we recorded one of these, I had this huge setup with two mics, and now when I set up, you're like, you couldn't believe how... It's like you bought it at the spy stores. I know, like, it's a spy store thing. And it's the range is great. Yes, but we have a lot to catch up on. Yes. First of all... Because we only talk on podcasts. We only we do. Only it's like, save it. Save no. it. Save it for the podcast. Actually, we just dished a whole lot of dirt before <sighs> I turned this on. Oh, some good dirt. Oh, my gosh. Some good and bad dirt. Yeah, I can't believe that so-and-so had that abortion. Oh, and that my God. Drug. So many abortions. I couldn't believe it. So much abortion. I, first there. of all, you think they're too old to have kids, but then you hear that... I know. I was it. sort of like, oh, that's so sad, but good for you. It's so infertile. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like, wow. Ooh, it's like, mm, ah. How right. old is she? <laughs> exactly. But anyway, you know what? She's got a series to be on. So, I mean, I shouldn't have even said that. Anyway. It's, you know, it's fine. Okay. So, the last time I was here, you, you had just had baby Hugo. I did. And you were talking about how easy of a baby he is. And my friend Debbie Braver, who I think is listening, was like, give her a little while and then see if it's still easy. So well, I constantly think about that, too, because I'm like, oh, should I have not said that? Like, am I a bad person for bragging about, like, I got a fucking easy baby. Ugh, everyone else's baby's hard. Yeah. I am... I'm sorry, Debbie. My baby is so really easy. <laughs> like, a, I mean, every baby is a little hard. I mean, he was up like three times last night. That's a rarity. He's a yeah. very, he's pretty, and he also weirdly timed things. He's like, I know mommy and Dennis want to hang out. He literally went down five minutes before you showed up. Yeah. And he's been sleeping the entire I know. Time. I love that. Yeah. So that he's a joy. He's yeah. a delight. Walking. He's walking in 10 months. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, he's a little maniac, that one. Love it. Yeah. Now, you've also been working on Marry Me, which mm-hmm. is a very charming, delightful show. Thank you. What's up with that? Is it coming back, or we, we're waiting and seeing? it's coming back. I love it. Yeah. It feels like maybe America doesn't love it as much as I do. I also think comedies on NBC in this current climate are very tough right now. Yeah. This is my theory on sitcoms. With shows like Scandal or any, like, Good Wife or anything, like, anything, especially, like, the Shondaland shows, it's like, you have to watch it that night, or people are talking about it, and you're screwed, right? Yeah. You don't have that for sitcoms, so people can wait and catch it up on Sunday, so there's, the ratings are dropping and dropping, and either the networks are going to get on board and be like, we want to do sitcoms, or they just have to leave. Right. But, I mean, this is... I wonder I if there is a way to do a sitcom with jaw-dropping moments. Like, I can't believe yeah. that happened. I guess oh my that God. was like a little bit of Friends, but it's like, but it would only be like once a season Yeah, or yeah, yeah. It wasn't you all know? the time. No. Anyway, maybe with my pilot, Misadventures in the 213. I like that. I which that. We're, we're sending good vibes for, for yes, 2015. Misadventures! Yes. Because stuff happened in that pilot. Yes. I mean, that book. I don't know if it's dramatic enough to be like, oh, you have to watch it. I think the cable shows are more that. Like, yeah. like I always try to watch, like, Comeback Right Away yeah. or Eastbound because I don't want people to be talking. I'm out on girls, but when I watch girls, I would want to do. Comeback finale was phenomenal. Phenomenal. I couldn't believe how couldn't lovely, believe it. sublime it was. She is a freaking marvel i just thought it was so i thought it was perfect i really because it's funny because it was an hour long and i weirdly ended up watching it over two nights in like half hour increments and i my husband my husband really likes it and he thinks lisa kudrow is so talented but he can he's too uncomfortable he just yeah i'm the same way because i have friends that are like i love it wasn't it funny when i'm like it brings up stuff for me it brings up a lot of stuff for me it does a little of both for me, and I, I don't mind watching it alone. I don't mind. It's like a little shame eating or yeah. something where you're just like, I don't want anyone to see me watch this. Because I w- wept openly during the end of the finale. Oh, my God. Like, it was so moving. It was. Because I also love, too, like, I love that they can do literally Brad Goreski falling in shit. Like, yeah. in shit. Yeah. And then they have these tender moments. Like, it's just so... And I love that, well, we don't want to spoil it for you, but... They changed sort of the way it was shot near the end, and it was, was seamless and lovely. And I and I shot thought, beautifully. Yes, and I thought her dress was perfect because it was too. kind of beautiful, 
The skirt was so but a little stunning, bit, but the top was matronly. I think it was two piece. I think it was. Yeah. So I saw like a little bit of skin, and I was like, oh, I think that's a top. And like, like it was a really memorable dress. You feel like on Fashion Police, she might get creamed for it, but it yes. was larger than life, like Valerie was. And I loved what it was about. Do you have to sell oh. your soul? To succeed in show business. I thought it was. And I thought all the Emmy stuff looked great. Like I it can't looked... believe the access that they got. It felt like the real thing. I know. I thought it was great. And it was yeah. like, I just, I, I, I could gush and gush and gush. Yeah. I thought that was a very perfect season. Yeah. Um, I wanted to tell you my medical marijuana story because I haven't told this on the podcast store uh, yet. Um, so in August, I started having like some digestive stomach issues or whatever. I'd seen, I ended up at urgent care trying to get a little help for it or whatever one of the doctors suggested you know cannabis mm-hmm. and i was like you know anything I like that, that you call it cannabis well exactly <laughs> so i went to my regular You're real doc. druggy are you <laughs> i am I, you know and i'm like i need you know something's got to help or whatever i'm trying a lot of different things so i go to my regular doctor and he gives me the letter that you need mm-hmm. to do it so I go to the dispensary. You're like the only person with a legit letter. Yeah. I go to the, so I go to the dispensary and I'm ready to do it. I've got my place. I'm ready. And she's looking on the letter and she's feeling it. She's like feeling for, she goes, you have to have a stamp, like an embossed thing. You don't have it. And I was like, oh, are you kidding? Because it was a whole song and dance to get it. Yeah. Uh, and she goes, well, I know a place up the road, the doctor that can give it to you. That's all they do is give these letters out. It's like... So I go up, it's deep valley, like Satakoy and Lancashire in a strip mall. And I go in there. The receptionist is very nice. And basically you pay like 25 bucks. I think I had a $10 coupon. And somebody talks to you for two seconds and says, oh, you have anxiety. Clonk, here's your thing. How did you get a coupon from the dispensary? Um, The the dispensary had a coupon for the doctor. Like a $10 thing off. I was like, I just thought you like manufacture. Yeah. You're like, I can make coupons um, happen. So I go in there. I finally get to see the doctor. And I think he's a retired surgeon from UCLA. Like, and now he's, you know, this is something he does part-time, whatever. And he goes, uh, so what are your, your issues that you're dealing with? And I said, well, I, I think I'm, I'm having some digestive issues. And I, I think it's brought on by anxiety um, having to do a lot with my, you know, current work situation. He goes, oh, what kind of work do you do? And I said, well, I'm a writer. And he goes, I'm a writer. I wrote a book. Hey, Jose, bring me in my book. Just want to read you a chapter. Right? I'm sitting here thinking, just give me my thing so I can go get my pot. I'm, like, sick. And he's like, uh, it's something about, like, it's set in a fraternity or, like, a college thing or whatever. Is it self-published? Yeah, self-published. And he's like... Chad walked into the quad. He couldn't believe it. And he's like, and he, he reads the whole section. He goes, what do you think of that? And I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. You have a really good voice. And he's like, yeah, we, uh, we're trying to sell it for, uh, you know, at Fox. I have a buddy over at Fox. We can try to maybe, you know, make, shoot it. Or he mentioned like $700,000. I don't know. He had it all figured out. Oh, my God. I hate this town. And he was like, he's like, I'll just read, read you another section. Uh, so, you know, when Tiffany got to the party, Chad was already there and whatever, reading me a whole other section. I'm like, that's really fun. You know, it, was, it wasn't bad. I was like, that's... You're the nicest you, man you know, who you ever really... walked that deep in the valley. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, I'm like, yeah, it's kind of good. And I remember taking a picture of the cover because it was such a crazy L.A. moment, but deep valley L.A. moment. And finally, <laughs> he sort of finishes and I'm like, he's like, yeah, you think, you, you think, what do you think? And I'm like, yeah, you have a real, you know comedic voice I, I really I like it I think it's good um, and and I'm like 
So in your experience, when people have IBS, hold on, I just want to read you one more chapter about the sister. <gasps> and did it literally, again, busted out a whole other thing. And I'm trying to ask him about, like, your my medical. medical situation. Finally, he gave me the stamp, and I got the goods. How long did that take? Uh, pro- well, with applause, uh, probably <laughs> 45 minutes. No, it was probably, I was probably in there, like, a half hour or whatever. He didn't have hardly ask me any questions. It was all his Barnes and Noble uh, meet and greet. But uh, so funny. But you know what? At a certain point, I just surrendered. I was like, this yeah. is so weird. It's... I'm just going to surrender. And so um, so I got the stuff. So I finally go there. I get the thing. And they, like, give me some edibles because I don't like to smoke. Mm-hmm. And they said, just break off a little piece of this, yeah. whatever. So the first night I do it, and I sleep, kind of relaxes me, and I sleep pretty good and all that stuff, or whatever. The second night I do the same thing. I have the worst fucking trip in the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I'm having a bad trip. This is bad. Um, I googled bad pot trip, and Maureen Dowd's story that she'd just written in the New York Times came up. Because she went to Colorado to research it all, and she did some edibles in her hotel room and had a bad trip. And I was like, okay. And it was like things like, you're not going to die from this. Yeah. It's stressful like, though. Oh my God. It was crazy. Like I, I was watching the Colbert Report and I knew the end of the joke before he got to it. Mm-hmm. Basically, I was traveling through time. <laughs> I was like, oh, that old joke. I, it was so weird. And then I got through it. And then I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. Suffice it to say, I wasn't able to make medical marijuana my friend. And after all of that, marijuana is tough. Like I've only, sm- or I guess I smoked. I don't know if I've ever done any edibles out here. That shit's strong as hell. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Oh, you shouldn't do the edibles. You shouldn't do the edibles." So the next time, I have a, my pothead buddy kind of helped me, and I just took a couple tokes of his thing. Yeah, and I think it kind of did okay in that moment, but I felt weird like three days later in my head. I don't love pot. I don't love it. I wanted to love it. I know. I also think it was before I figured out that I'm dealing with sinusitis, and mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that had an effect on the way the pot played in my brain. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because anyway. it's going to make you feel like your equilibrium's off, right? Yeah, it was just bad. It was just not good. But um, I did think the the reading of the book was kind of a story that... That's so funny. I mean, yeah. it's so... It really is. I mean, and it's like... I do think it's like an interesting thing. Like, I love that this guy was a surgeon, and now he's like, I'll write a book, and like, is so optimistic about everything, but there's some parts where it's like, you know what, maybe just like plant a garden. Like, does everyone have to yeah. have these like huge creative pursuits? But I love the confidence. He's like, yeah, yeah it's going to sell at Fox for $750,000. Yeah, yeah, something like, like that. Yeah, yeah we got, what do you think we're going to do like uh, 13 episodes? I don't know. He had a whole thing going on. And maybe he will. I don't know. And now also we turn on Fox and it's like, Chad and Tiffany? Yes. Yeah. This is very familiar. But I also felt like he wanted something for me. Like, if I had had any connections or whatever, he would have been all over it. But anyway, I was just like, just give me the stamp. Please. So I can get my drugs. <laughs> anyway, so what are you looking forward to in 2015? Oh, that's a great question. Um, Marry Me is wrapping up, which is right. sad, but, you know, it's always nice to have a little bit of time off. So you and can, it could like, come back. We don't know. I hope it comes back. I really do. What was different about working on that versus Happy Endings? Um, it was a lot of the same people. It was yeah. David Casper. 
created both shows, and Casey Wilson starred in both shows, and a lot of the same writers. Um, we probably had to tether ourselves to reality a little more in yeah. Marry Me. Like, Happy Endings was bananas. Like, and right. I mean that in the best possible way. Like, sometimes I'll just, like, look on YouTube for, like, just little clips from Happy Endings and just... The joke runs were so, like, long and crazy. And, yeah. Um... But, I mean, I still feel like we do a lot of that stuff. It's just sort of, like, a little bit more grounded. Because it's, like, about this, you know, you're a little more invest. You are more invested because you've got this couple at the center of it who yeah. are pulling you in and stuff. But um, it's different, you know, kind of like different networks. I came in on the second season. I had never been part of a show on first season. I think it's really interesting. I think networks are just really, like... Like, on one hand, it's, like, a bummer because, like, network television is dying. But the other hand, you're, like, there's just so many platforms and there's more. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just a weird time right now, I think, for especially, like, half-hour comedies. But I love everyone I work with. It's so fun. Good. Yeah. Well, I started the Vest Museum. What? I started a Vest Museum in my coworker's office. Okay, what happens in the Vest Museum? Just a lot of vests, buddy. A lot of vests? Like female vests or male vests? All sorts of vests. We had some people donate vests. We had some cash contributions. There's probably like 30 vests on display. So... Can you... Do you need a guide to tour it? Yeah, I'm your guide. Okay. I'm your guide, yeah. So if anyone wants to... There's a Yelp listing for the Vest Museum. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My challenge from my boss was that I need to get one person to come to the Vest Museum that's not associated with the show or anything. So if any of the listeners... Can I come or am I too close? You might be too close. To the fire? Yes, but I'd still love to have you there. Yeah. Um, but, so uh, you have two weeks of work two weeks when I go of back. Work, yeah. So if I'm going to get into the Vest Museum, yeah. I have to come there. And I will do that and I will take pictures on and post them on the Dennis yeah. And if any net. listener wants to come to the Vest Museum, Museum. Yeah. they With should. me? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? You would get a drive on and the whole thing on the lot? Yep. On the Paramount I lot? I get you a drive on and you would come to the Vest Museum. Why Vest? Because my friend who works there, Matthew Libman, always we always tease him because he dresses like one of the crew, but he does it in this very like like he has these like wool felted vests that probably cost like four hundred dollars or whatever. But he looks like he's like a fifties dock worker, but he does it in this very like expensive way. And he loved vests, and we always like there's something about being in a writer's room where you're just like. You wear something different. You're like, you do your hair different. You're like, you did your hair different. I'm going to make fun of you the rest of the day. Yeah. So we'd tease him about his vest. So before we started work, I bought this, I eBayed this Planet Hollywood Museum vest and had it sent to him at the office. And then they got another one and he started hanging them up and we were like, this is like a vest museum. And then I started a Yelp list. Oh, no, he started the Yelp listing. Oh, I thought you were joking. No, no, there's a Yelp list. <laughs> there's like five reviews. <laughs> That's the thing is, I think... You're being, very good at Yelp. I remember when we were in Palm Springs, you found my favorite Mexican restaurant. That place was fun. With Yelp. I still go there. Good. La Tablita. You take the whole gang there. I take the gang there. You can get out... You can, you can buy a really cheap lunch for a group of people there. It's so... I love yeah. that it's just called... La Tablita. La Tablita. The table. The table. So, what's going to happen to the Vest Museum when you wrap for the season? I... You know what I think I'm going to do? Working. I'm going to leave it up optimistically, that we'll be back next season. Okay, so they wouldn't... Nobody's no. coming into your offices. I don't think so. Not yeah. first... Yeah, because we would wrap in January. They'd have some post stuff to do. Yeah. I might leave my office together, too. I don't want to take that shit home. No. And I'm like, to. I think it's a good sign that... 
We'll come back next year. Yeah. Leave the Vest Museum there. Keep yeah. it alive. All right, Jackie. Thank you for the check-in. Is oh there anything gosh. else you want to say? No, I'm so happy. Okay. Yay. Happy New Year. Bye. By the way, some of these check-ins I recorded on my computer like I normally do, and some of them I just recorded on my iPhone. Uh, here's an iPhone check-in with my screenwriting hero, Patrick Tobin from Cake, because during my podcast with him, he brought up a topic, and I said, ooh, we're going to circle back to that, but I forgot to circle back, so now we're circling back. Enjoy. So I'm here with former podcast guest Patrick Tobin, screenwriter of Cake. And by the way, Jennifer Aniston's looking really good for the Oscar nom since we last spoke. Okay. Um, When we did the podcast, you mentioned that you had worked for Alan Carr, and I said we'll circle back to that, and I forgot to circle back. So lay it on us. This will be my little Christmas gift. My little Christmas gift. Thank you. So tell me about Alan Carr. Okay. So in 96, when my movie No Easy Way came out, um, a friend of a friend who worked for Alan um, showed the movie to him, and he loved it. So, he, By the way, Alan Carr is that mercurial producer that produced Grease, and he always wore caftans. And he was famous for caftans, yeah. and yes, and every like story of excess from the 70s. Yeah. He lived out loud. He okay. So I got summoned to his house in Beverly Hills, and I went, and he was, of course, wearing a caftan. Um, I love it. And he was very nice, very complimentary. Free-balling? Do you think he was free-balling? <laughs> no, this was like... So uh, this this was like a couple years before he died. So his okay. health was not that okay. great. Okay. And then... Um, so I went and he said, well, what else do you have? And I said, well, I've just done a gay reworking of Vertigo. <gasps> Would you be interested in reading it? And he kind of clapped his hands and he said, yeah, I'd love to read it. So he optioned my script, uh, which was... a you know, a shameless ripoff of Vertigo. What was it called? Uh, I want to see that movie. Eclipse was the name of it. Okay. Okay, so I'll send it to you if you want to read it. All right, cool. So he optioned it, and he was going to try to get Pedro Almodovar to to direct it. Wow. Which would have been heaven. Oh, my God. So so he optioned it, and and back then, I mean, I got, he gave me quite a bit of money for it, which was nice. Wow. And we would go to, like, you know, the, uh, we would go to Neiman Marcus and eat in the tea room. And, you know, it was just this incredible fun thing. One time, uh, Mark and Margaret came with her mother and I got to meet her to lunch. Yeah. It was just yeah. this crazy, like, did you have lunch with Anne Margaret? Didn't have lunch with her and her mom, her mom, but they came by and it was like, Oh, here's Anne Margaret. It was like being on a talk show. And right. 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 Yeah. So unfortunately, did she go like that? <laughs> I was doing the famous, <laughs> my favorite Anne Margaret. You too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It was fantastic. She's so, awesome. She's awesome. And her mom's great. Okay. And so um, Pedro, unfortunately, did not want to do a movie in the U.S. because they'd been trying to do Women on the Verge, I guess, and he didn't want to remake it here. So he didn't want to do anybody else's script, so the deal sort of fell through. But um, Alan and I had a little friendship going, and he optioned my script. And then one day, so if this is running too long. Just no, wait. it's I please. I'm, 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 we're riveted. So one day he goes, bring your notepad. I've got an idea. And so I go to the house in Beverly Hills. I've got my notepad, my pen. I'm ready. Open up to a fresh page. And he goes, personal shopper. And I go, okay. And I start writing it down. And I'm like waiting for more. And he goes, no, personal shopper. That was the whole idea. Right. So apparently Sherry Lansing had just optioned this idea, personal shopper for Alan Carr. And that's it. That's it. So I had to develop this whole treatment based on a personal shopper. Um, we went back to Neiman Marcus. You were getting paid, though, right? I was getting paid. See, back then, you could just say two words and <laughs> attach a name and somebody would write exactly, a check. Exactly. Um, 
it was a lot of fun, and I look back on that as like it was a uh, like a really fond memory. And then he got really sick, and he died um, about six months after that. So that personal shopper is kind of a good idea, though. Still, it is. I mean, it, it was very much of that time, but it, and he wanted Fran Drescher to be in it, which would have been great. Yeah. You know? Was the personal shopper a male or female? Female. Nice. Yeah. And actually, it's sort of the story was a little bit like that movie with um, Jennifer Lopez, where she was a wedding planner. Yeah. It kind of had the same... Beats, kind of like yeah. where she fell for the mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. I would watch that movie. Yeah. I wish they would make it. All right. Now, but so your experience with him was all positive. It, it was like... very positive. I, I loved... And he would just tell these great stories. Yeah. Um, you know, he knew everybody. And oh, and he had just... He had been producing um, La Caja Fall on Broadway. Right. I mean, he's an amazing guy, if you look. I mean, except for, like, what was that uh, movie with Don't Stop the Music? Oh, Can't Stop the Music. Can't, can't Stop the yeah. Music, yeah. That's kind of... But Grease, I mean, that was an yeah, important movie. Yeah, exactly. It was amazing. The 70s, that was a huge... And Can't Stop the Music is so gay. <laughs> with Nancy. Oh, my God. Nancy Walker and, yeah. like, Bruce Jenner and stuff. It's not as fun to watch as you want it to be, yeah. but... It is the YMC like number. The YMCA number is amazing. Um, so he was great. Did you ever go to a party at his place? No, he wasn't really partying at that yeah. point. I think he was really, you know, his health was not good. Um, yeah. He was trying to take care of himself. And yeah. I think he was just trying to get back in the game. But, you know, at that point he was just, wasn't healthy. And yeah. I mean, you know, God rest his soul. He's kind of a gay saint to me. I love that you had a really great thing. Because you expect, when somebody's really powerful in Hollywood and known yeah. for being outrageous, you expect nightmare stories. No, and you know what was really what was sweet is he just he really loved my first movie and like I was telling you at dinner you know no four people saw it and right five including Alan Carr and he really he really wanted to do something and it with led me. to more work for you it did that's Absolutely. fantastic all right thanks for sharing that Happy little Christmas holidays. gift that's it awesome all right thanks, bye and here's a check in with one of my other early podcast guests TV writer Jack Kenny. So I'm here with Jack Kenny, a former podcast guest who was the creator of the show Warehouse 13, or the showrunner of the show. And I uh, just had a delicious lunch with Jack. It's right before Christmas. And I want to share my professional writing misadventure with you and see if you can relate to the story. Okay. Are you game? I am. I'm always game. All right. I love improv. The other day, I got an envelope from the Writers Guild that was residual checks for um, the Big Gay Sketch Show, which I worked on. Uh Uh-huh. And it was nine checks, yes, totaling thirty-five cents. <laughs> have you had this before? I, have you ever gotten those I have residual check, checks? I have a check for zero. You have a check for I, zero. I have a check for zero. Not from the writers' guild. I was an actor for years. Yeah. Uh, for, for for years, my favorite check was for one cent. Right. I had it framed on my desk yes. as as a reminder of how well my acting paid off. Right. But then I got a check for zero. It just has X's where the money's supposed to be, yeah. because apparently everything was taken up in taxes. I mean, I, th- I think that the gross was three cents, so the government takes three cents, and that leaves you with zero. And I, I saved that one. I have gotten... I, for, what I was it thinking, for, the zero check? Oh, God, I think it was... I didn't um, know they would even send you a I check think it was zero. Miami Vice. Okay. <laughs> what were you on Miami Vice? I was a... I was a, a badass. I was, I was, no, <laughs> no, I've never played a badass in my life. Right. Um, I was a... Um, a sleazy reporter for the National Inquisitor. Okay. And I, and I got punched out by Don Johnson. 
What was he like? Punched out. He uh, not much. He just punched me out. I didn't get to yeah. talk to him very much. He wasn't. Although he did like that. I said I'd do my own stunt and throw myself off of this cafe table. Yeah. And he was like, "Ooh, that'd be great. That'd be great." He loved that I made him look macho and strong. Yeah. And it was one of the very rare Sheena Easton episodes. Wow. Of Miami Vice. Yes, I was in a scene with Don and Sheena. She, I saw her in Vegas. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And yes, and she's got a lot of hits, and I love them, and I own them. But she was kind of like not a great actress. Not a great. Not a great actress. No, but there's a picture of it on my Facebook page of Don Johnson and Sheena Easton in the background looking scared. I want to. Okay, I'm going to go see that. Yes. All right. Well, here's the story isn't over yet. No, so no. I have this like 35 cents, a stack of checks, and I'm like, you know what? I'm at a period of time where I God need to own it. my professional writerness. <laughs> I am a professional writerness. I am a professional writer. I am going to go deposit these checks. So I go to the ATM, and you can deposit, like, up to 10 checks, and mm-hmm. it's less than 10 checks. It's kind of late at night. The ATM machine laughed at you. No. Oh. I put them in, and it's like counting it, counting it, counting it. The ATM machine broke. <laughs> Shut down. It broke. And so I it's frozen it was, for a long time, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it. It never happened to me with an ATM I think it was just embarrassed for you. I think it was, too. Was, and oh then it God. went dark, and it has just a little arrow, like, you know, your cursor on a, on a computer. Mm-hmm. That's all it was, a dark screen in that. So I call the Bank of America because you think when an ATM breaks down, you, that's the thing. You need to take care of it. All right, so the ATM freezes. And I call the number on the thing because you think they would be a hotline for ATMs, and it's just the regular Bank of America number. Yeah. So you have to go through all the yeah. the menu, and it's after business hours. Finally, I talk to somebody, and I Isn't say, a hotline for, you can't, if, you, if, you did, if you're calling 911, it's not a hotline I anymore. No, I just Everything thought an ATM, voicemail. there would be somebody there because it feels oh like a big God. deal. And my concern is not the 35 cents. It's that somehow my account is now open, and when this wakes up, somebody will come and have access and to it. And withdraw maybe 40 yeah, cents. Yeah, exactly, Clean which you is out. about all I have in there. <laughs> so I talk her through it and the whole thing, and I tell her, you know, the thing, and... And she says, well, um, they're going to do a report on it. So now it's a whole thing. And she goes, we may have to send you a form that you just have to fill out and send back in. But we send a self-addressed envelope. Mm-hmm. And I'm, so, and so I'm this, thinking, this is, I'm doing is, the math in yeah, my head. This is going to cost you more than I'm going to have to buy a stamp, cent stamp to send it back. Or, and I will have lost yeah. seven cents yeah, trying to remind myself that I'm a professional writer. Yeah. You should have. You should have. Uh, yeah. No. You should. You should have just kept the checks as a, as a memento. Exactly. But wait, there is a silver lining and a and a happy ending. You should have told him it was thirty five thousand yeah. dollars. I know. And that the check and then, and, and then torn up the checks and somehow your machine ate them. That's what I should have done. But there is a silver lining and a happy ending to the story. Oh wait, no, there isn't. There's not. <laughs> There's not. But maybe there will be someday. Well, That's the point. There's no. I don't have a twist. I just I'm think it's funny. Think I'm trying to think if there's an upside of some sort. Um, um, no, that's but that's I, really, but the, every, every what part the, of that story funny, sucks. What's funny is that I deposited it as an act of empowerment, of like uh, owning. Like I loaded that, it with meaning. If this and the was ATM, a Seinfeld episode, and the ATM, I'm trying to broke. T- see if it was a Seinfeld episode. Then, then George would have deposited his thirty-five cents, and it would have broken out, and he would have banged on the machine until it broke. Yeah. And then he would have been arrested for trying to steal money from an ATM machine. Yes. And and then and Kramer would have come, but the only one he could reach was Kramer to pick him up and yeah. then would have both got arrested because Kramer would have implicated himself in it. Yeah. And they, they, so maybe you can write an episode of TV. Maybe out. I can, I, maybe I can make feel it a like modern it's a story. Family. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it, make it up. Cam, Cam is, is catching a, a residual for his clowning work. Yes. And play the, play the same thing. He gets mad and make, breaks some That machines. is a happy ending. That's a really funny... Yeah. That's right. a really funny... Where is it come script based on your... There you go. Cents. That's a story of my 35 cents. All right. Thank you, Jack, and happy holidays, and um, we'll see you in the new year. Happy Kwanzaa. Yay. Bye. And here's another little tidbit from my visit with Miss Coco Peru having to do with housewares. Okay, on my way out of Coco's house, I came across a plate that says whore on it, and apparently there's a story that goes with it. Well, no, that whore plate was given to me as a gift at, an, uh, at a show I did in Arizona, and it okay. was hanging in a gallery. But it appears in a, in a couple of my videos, and this young guy uh, saw it in a video, and he wrote me a letter saying, he, not a, a letter, a note saying he didn't, his, he didn't have a job, he didn't know what to do with his life, and he saw that plate, and he started his own company, and he sent me one of his... Uh, dish towels that says hot mess and he he makes these and basically letting me know and i wanted to let you know dennis that you never know how you affect other people's lives you never do so because so he my, saw this plate he had an idea plate. your yeah. whore plate it inspired always, him it always has to have something to do with whores or a, right. like a hot mess but but who am i to judge i i don't know that's amazing yeah. you've, you've gotten somebody to get into the entrepreneurial spirit exactly i wonder i'll see if i can google it and find out who made that towel and how how people can order it. Yeah. So, awesome. Love it. Okay, I googled hot mess kitchen towels, and I'm pretty sure they're from the Jamie Godfrey home collection. I couldn't quite pin it down, but um, I think that's where they're from, if you're interested. Um, and now let's go from Coco to Coco's co-star in the movie Girls Will Be Girls, Jack Plotnick. Here's former podcast guest Jack Plotnick, filmmaker of Space Station 76, with a new story for us. Oh, hey. Hi, guys. Um, <laughs> I uh, got cast in a guest star role on Silicon Valley. Um, Which I've never seen that show. Yeah, I need to watch it. I haven't either. Okay. But um, I, I will watch my episode. It hasn't aired yet. Let's Yours is coming up. Yeah. Okay, good. So, um, anyway, I was really excited about it. It's a small role, but we're speaking at a funeral. And um, I'm playing the owner of a web-based company. I can't remember the name of it. And then there was an actor who was playing the, 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 uh, the owner of Snapchat. You know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah big okay. So, anyway, he was a really young guy. Guy, and um, we're doing the scene, and in, in it, we sort of keep, each keep getting up at the funeral and dissing each other's company. Um, anyway, so when we're all done, I, I was just kind of thinking, like, who is this kid? Like, I've never seen him before, and he didn't quite seem like a professional actor. He was good in the scene, but I just didn't quite understand who he was. So anyway, we were taking the van back to base camp after we were done shooting. I have a prediction of where this is going. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I asked him, so when did you audition for this? And he's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't audition. I, I was offered the role. I was like, really? Wow, I'm, I'd like to get offered a role. So what, and he, what do you do? And he's like, well, I... I, I own a successful company and I said oh wow cool what what company he goes Snapchat yeah. <laughs> they got the real guy that owns Snapchat literally Snapchat and he probably looks like he's 10 years old right he, I don't hate him he was like 23 uh, <sighs> adorable and a billionaire and uh, I spent all day like being mean to, about Snapchat to him on film having no idea he actually was the guy that's so funny well you know what I'm glad you were mean to him because he deserves the, it. he does oh, those guys yeah. was he cute he Ish. was cute he was cute yeah all right. Well, I can't wait to see the episode. It's going to be great. And um, thanks for sharing your fun story. Thanks, Dennis. Okay. Happy New Year. Is that a good story? Wonderful. That's really funny. And now it's time for a look at the year-end movie situation with my film critic friend, Glenn Gaylord, from Glenn on Film. 
All right, we're here with Glenn Gaylord in his place. Now, Glenn was a guest with Nadia Ginsburg, the three of us created, if we took a holiday together. Now, Glenn also writes movie reviews, um, and you can check them out at the Tumblr site, Glenn on Film, and they're really great. And Glenn, every year you do this thing called Moments Out of Time. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. It's what does of, that mean? Well, I mean, uh, there was a uh, article called that in Film Comment magazine that I grew up reading. I used and, to get that for like a year. And yeah. I felt very um, sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to read about movies that I would never see. Right. Never come to my little town. Yeah. Uh, but it stuck, me, stuck with me that uh, these moments out of time in films that... The critic might not even like the whole movie, but there were moments in those films, either it's a scene or a line of dialogue or a shot that stuck with them. And I like doing that better than year-end top ten lists because I think even a bad movie might have something memorable in it that we take with us. Right, and everyone's doing top ten lists. This is more interesting. So you come up every year with your moments out of time. Exactly. All right, so let's go through 2014, some moments out of time. All right, so I haven't seen everything yet. So okay. there's still room left. Yeah. So you'll have to check out my Tumblr page. Yeah, there could it. be some stuff in Annie that knocks your socks off. Well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, this will come out in January, the, okay. the, the article. But this is a little preview. All right, I'm things. taking off my coat because I want to be... Uh, yeah, get not ready so noisy. For okay, yeah. here we go. All right, so um, and this is in no particular order, sure. but except the first few, which kind of like are films that really packed a punch for me. So okay. I'm going to start with Boyhood. And a moment out of time in that film for me was uh, um, a young girl sings Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again simply to annoy her sleeping brother. And in that moment, we know we're about to fall in love with Lorelai Linklater as we watch her and the wonderful cast grow over the next 12 years. Yeah, that was m- maybe the most memorable scene of that movie is because she's so into it. And I, I love Britney. And yeah, that's a great... That's a like, oh, wow, this is great. Yeah, it's like a very early scene, yeah. and that's Richard Linklater's daughter. And yes. we watch her as well grow up you know, over the course of 12 years, and you instantly fall in love with her, and that, that's her first yeah. moment on screen. Yeah. Usually when people put their kids in movies, they're not that good, and she was really good. Yeah, I watched it again last night for the second time. Oh, yeah. And it held up, and she just she steals that movie. Did you cry? I cried a lot. <laughs> <gasps> I need to watch it again. Okay. Um, and, you know, I could name like 50 other moments in that film, especially sure. anything where Patricia Arquette is told that she's either a really good mother or she's broken down for having been abandoned or having to leave a husband. Yeah. Um, next is Under the Skin. So here's what I wrote. In the lair, amidst snake charmer-like music, Scarlett Johansson's alien lures a naked male victim below an inky surface. He sees another man down there, his body suffering from the ravages of whatever he's been through. They make eye contact, these two guys. And then, without warning... Something really insidious happens. I don't want to spoil that because actually, I know you haven't seen this. I yet. haven't seen it, but that sounds like a night at Slammer. <laughs> uh, not that I would know. I don't know, but um, I do want to see it. And um, I sent you a link because they're doing a screening of it with a live orchestra in Los Angeles in January. And I got to see if I want to try to go to that. But yeah, you love special. that movie. It's hypnotic. It's more of a museum piece than a standard narrative. Is it sexy? It is, and okay. it's also based on a novel I read 14 years ago. I couldn't wait for it to become a film, but I always thought the, sec- the last third of the novel explained too much, and this okay. movie is really just the first third, and it explains nothing, and it's all the more alluring. As I result. love it. All right. Nightcrawler. Love that movie. Right. I wrote, this film is filled with wonderful negotiation scenes, whether it's Jake Gyllenhaal getting what he wants from Rene Russo, and I wrote, he asked for all of these things, it's Ray's or whatever, and as our friend Danny pointed out, he goes, he got everything he wanted from that news station, except he didn't get a drive-on. That's true, we had to park on the street. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, have an, I have a fun idea. You say the movie, and I'm going to try to guess the scene that you ooh, liked. I like it. The but, restaurant scene. 
the the Mexican restaurant scene in Nightcrawler. Wait, I have to do what? And you just say if I'm right or wrong, and then you read your thing. Oh no, no, that's not what it is. Okay, no. what's your moment? Are you talking about the Chinese restaurant where they're? No, they're having they're at Lost Com- Lost oh, Comrades oh, with Rene Russo. With Rene no, Russo. No, no, no. Okay, so what's yours? Uh, then the other one is a terrific Riza Med who plays Jake Gyllenhaal's right hand yes. meekly asking for a feeble raise and learning he's just not asking for enough. Uh, or just the, the car chase, which I thought yeah. was a white knuckler. It was one of the best car chases in years. I want to go to that Chinese dive where the final thing happens. I never just, want to see it again. <laughs> I just kind of want to go there and like try not to get shot. Okay. All right. All right. What's your next movie? Here's a film we saw together, Force Majeure. Uh, I love this movie, and any scene in that could be the scene. Now, here's a scene that it's there's no dialogue in it. By the way, if you haven't heard any of these movies, you might want to... Well, they're not really spoilers, I guess. Go no, ahead. I'm going to try not to spoil too okay. much here. But this one, uh, after the big inciting incident, yes. um, these two kids are on this moving sidewalk of a lift up a ski slope. Yeah. And they're looking back at their father and mother who are behind them on the lift. And there's clanking noises going on, and it's ominous and foreboding. And the kids are looking back, and the parents are looking at the kids. And they're all just trying to find a place in this incident that happened. And it's just beautiful filmmaking to really create a tense mood. Love it. I, that may be one of my favorite movies of the year. Maybe number one. I'm not sure. It's way up there. For yeah, me. you got to see it. All right. Here's another one I know you love. Cake. I love Cake. So without spoiling anything, I'm going to say a woman in pain does something she hasn't done in a long time. And as she gasps and stares right into the camera, it literally and figuratively took my breath away. Yes. I agree, agree, agree. Yes. This is just a a final moment in the movie, not spoiling a thing. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Birdman. I love the scene where Ed Norton rehearses for the first time. And for a second there, I believe we were watching how tough it must be to rehearse with the real Ed Norton. Because it kind of plays on our knowledge of him being potentially difficult. I think that's one of the most one of the most magical moments in that movie. Isn't about the camera work or the one takiness of it. It's Ed Norton slipping into really good actor and slipping out of really good actor. It's that same scene. Yes, it's Ed Norton is the special effect, and you're like, <laughs> wow, he's really good, like spectacular in that movie. Oh my gosh, I went to a screening of uh, to see it again, and Inaratu was there. And he told this story about how he had lunch with Mike Nichols before he shot the movie. Did I tell you this? Uh, yes, yes. Anyway, he had lunch with Mike Nichols before he shot the movie. And Mike Nichols said, don't shoot it in one take. It's never going to work. Comedy's all about cutting and timing and all that stuff. And he did it anyway. And then after the movie, there was a reception. And I, I got to meet him. And I asked him if Nichols got to see the movie before he passed away. And Inuradu goes, I don't know. Maybe he did and it killed him. I was Whoa. like, Whoa. I think he was, I mean, he was kind of, he wasn't super reverent, but I don't know. I thought that was funny. That's gutsy. I know, right? He just said it to me, but I, 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 didn't, I don't think it was meant to be bitchy. Well, 2014 started off really great for me with a movie called Stranger by the Lake. I remember this, the gay and movie. This gay movie set in this nude cruising beach. Right. And there is a super wide shot of a murder happening. And it's a long shot, and we watch somebody get killed, and then the killer just kind of casually stroll towards camera and off. Right. And it's bone-chilling because, you, first of all, you just have to think about how they actually pulled it off. Yeah. And just the, the directorial choice of letting it all go in a wide shot, it, it just made it all the more horrifying. Stranger, on the, Stranger, Stranger by, by the, the Lake. lake. Okay, yeah. love it. Um, another one we saw together that was just pure joy was We Are the Best, the Swedish movie. Yes. Um, and there's a scene where the girls take over the community music room to flail about poorly with the instruments and show us the true spirit of punk rock. Love it. Just so much fun. Top yes. five. 
That was a shout-out. We saw that because I think David Alonzo touted that on Linoleum Knife, the podcast. And, and they so were right. It was on my list of things I got to see. So top five. Here's what I have to say. Cedric the Entertainer, yeah. two girls, Chris Rock, and an overhead shot of a bed. Boom. Drop mic. That's all yeah. you need to know. Oh, my God. That scene. <laughs> that scene in top five is really funny. Here's one. I didn't love this movie, but I'm obsessed with it just the same. Okay. God Help the Girl. Now, I didn't see that the movie. movie is, it's got some pacing issues. It's a little too twee for its own good. But the musical numbers are just powerhouses, even in their sort of strangely not quite accomplished way. Right. Uh, but the music is so beautiful, and it's, my, it's right in my what? real house. Is it in English? Yeah, it's a Scottish film. Okay. And it's uh, very much 50s, 60s girl group pop sound. It's Bell and Sebastian, right? Yeah, well... Of the, yeah, I mean, Bell and Sebastian Stewart Murdoch of the okay. of, of them uh, is it's been a long gestating project of his. Awesome. And there's a number called "Come Monday Night," and okay. it's a band rehearsing, um, and it's very evocative and sweet. And you see there are three heroes kind of bonding during this moment where they came up with a song, um, and then at the, the right time in the song, as you're watching a band playing. Uh, it turns kind of music video style. It, there's a black background, and our three leads are lounging around a couch, and they're talking about um, how come Monday night, which is the name of the song, um, we're going to turn the television off and just listen to the silence. And I thought that's such a beautiful thing for people to do together. Just kind of right. Let it all just kind of quiet down with each other. And I love that. It was a very intimate moment. Okay, I got to check that out. Wild with Reese Witherspoon. Right. So here she is. Opening scene, she loses her toenail, her shoe, and her shit, releasing a shocking primal scream. And I just thought, what a great intro to this movie. What a great intro to that character. It really sucked you right in. Yeah, and I like the way when you find out when that happens. Right. I liked it. Plus, I thought the ending voiceover was just simply gorgeous. Just yeah. a beautiful capper. Nick Hornby wrote that. He did a great job. Yes. Big Eyes. So I you, just saw this yesterday. Okay, so you've heard the saying, a defendant who acts as his own attorney has a fool for a client. Yeah. Um, I thought, unless, of course, he's played by the ridiculously entertaining Christoph Waltz. That guy just makes me smile. Right. Some people think he's over the top and cartoonish. I was hearing reviewers yesterday. I think he is. Yeah. But it's so much fun to watch right. him do that. Yeah. I think that's why he's won two Academy Awards, right. playing sort of over the top and cartoonish. Yeah. Um, still Alice. So, so you is, like the courtroom scene and... and in, in Big Eyes. Yeah, yeah. me too. And uh, the, the fact that it all was true, too, is yeah. kind of spectacular. Um, still Alice. So Julian Moore, this is all you need to sort of rip somebody's guts out. Is Julian Moore a yellow highlighter and a speech? Yeah. That's all it's needed. It's yeah. sometimes the that, simplest thing. Uh, and you know what? That had the feeling of an ending scene in any other movie, but in this movie it was not in the end. Right. Um, another film we saw together, American Sniper. And I, I love that movie. Bradley Cooper staring down the barrel of a gun, achingly trying to figure out if he should kill a young child. It was yeah. suspenseful. It was gut-wrenching. The look on his eyes, in his eyes, this existential crisis that you see in his eyes in a beautiful performance that's very visual. And uh, just, I love that moment. I want that movie to get more Oscar love and stuff. But it might, because it's just coming out and building. It might, it might get a little more... Uh... Maybe you and I can rally behind Rally, because I'd yeah. like to see Cooper in there. Yeah. In that and, top and, five. And also Sienna Miller. Yeah, she was good. Um, Gone Girl. It's the opening shot of the film, and it's so evocative. It's just Rosamund Pike looking back at her husband, who's Ben Affleck, um, and she's looking at him, and you can't really tell if she's looking at him as if he were a specimen or someone she loves. It's right. this very ambiguous look in her face, and you don't know, you know which because you're dealing with a sociopath, so it makes it very... Interesting and draws you in right away. That's now at the $3 theater, and I think I might want to go see it again. <laughs> um, 
Whiplash. So in that film, the car crash that just couldn't stop our hero, hero from getting to the gig in time. Yeah. It was just a great yeah. study in ambition and nothing is going to stop him. Yeah. Speaking I agree. of nothing is going to stop him, nothing's going to stop us now from the skeleton twins. If you've seen oh, the movie. Oh, the best scene in the movie. <laughs> just, that's all that needs to be said yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, Honeymoon, little scene thriller. I didn't see it. At the top of my list of one of the best movies of the year. Uh, so it's this two-hander, just a married couple in the woods in a cabin, and it's really asking the question, how well do you know the person you love? And it turns into body horror, basically. And, oh, wow. And crazy science fiction in a really understated, cool way. And you know you're in trouble when our husband peeks in on his wife, and she's rehearsing a speech in the mirror that kind of belies that she doesn't know who anybody is around her. Mm. And it's, it's bone-chilling. I once wrote a short story in college called Honeymoon, where the the bride married the husband with a blow dryer in the bathtub, and all of the the appliances were alive. I don't know. What's that about? I don't know, but it was called Honeymoon. I remember that. Do you want to get married? No. After that, no. It was like, it was me, like, getting all film noir and thrillery and, yeah. <laughs> Um, here's a big blockbuster that's on my list because I'm not just all about the Yeah, that's right. Guardians of the Galaxy. Tons of fun. I wrote Chris Pratt's character, a Walkman blasting in his ears, kicks and dances his way into film superstardom. When he's dance, his Chris Pratt's dancing is the most memorable thing in that movie. You're really into people dancing. Yeah, I also like any time Chris Messina dances on Mindy Project, I'm into it. So basically anyone named Chris who dances. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, a documentary made the list, Life Itself. I love that movie. So there's that moment in the movie where you see these bumpers and teasers for the Siskel and Ebert show. Oh, yeah. And yes. they're recording them over and over again, and they're fighting, and they're oh, pitching at each other. And it showed a relationship far more complex than we thought, because you could see some genuine humor and affection for each other and total, utter disgust and hatred. I felt like Roger was hypercritical of Gene when they were doing the bumpers, but that Gene was actually better on television. Yeah. He was better at, like, reading the cue card and doing that thing. And that Roger was the one going, you keep fucking it up. And I'm like, mm, actually, he's doing better than you. I like to think that they're both still fighting something. Yeah, like somewhere. In, oh, I love that <laughs> movie. Um, Snowpiercer. Um, this is just that moment where we find out exactly what those protein bars are made of. Oh, yeah. All it, right. It's visceral. Those bars yeah. are visceral. They're gooey and black and... You know, you know that there's a Soylent Green explanation yeah. coming. I just watched that a couple of weeks ago, and I loved it because it's set on a train, and you just never know what's going to be in the next car. Yeah, some it people could hate liter- that, though. I loved it. It could literally be a bowling alley. Yeah. You don't even know. I have people saying, it doesn't make sense. The logistics of the train no. don't make sense. Oh, said, please. It's an adventure. Go on. Yes. Um, Ida. Okay, so this is I've a, not seen that movie this yet. This is, you know, a real strong uh, best foreign film contender this yeah, year. Yeah, I want Every Force Majeure to win. Which one do you want to win of those two? I don't care. They're both great. Okay. Uh, Ida is a visual masterpiece, as is Force Majeure. Yeah. Um, Ida is stunning in its framing, and it's very unusual, and the story of a nun who finds out that she's Jewish. Oh, wow. And uh, the, the moment that just takes your breath away is, without spoiling anything, just a woman walks up to a window and casually jumps out. And it's it's... Really shocking and cool. All right. Um, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Now, this is finally Wes Anderson marrying his visual aesthetic to slapstick in a way that I thought worked. Because sometimes his film, films seem all the same to me. Right. But that that's, that chase down a mountain yeah. in, in that film with miniatures and with... Oh, the silliness. Yeah. It's just awesome. I wish I liked that movie as much as everyone else. I find his movies not emotionally involving. 
And I think that it's fine in a slapstick. Yeah. It, it didn't really emotionally it didn't involve need me, it. but it yeah. entertained me. It was I joyful. did want to stay in that hotel, though. I thought that would be cool. <laughs> um, and then something you and I saw on Christmas Day, the interview. The interview, I loved it. Now, the opening scene just, it killed me. It's this sweet little North Korean girl singing of raping and killing American pig dogs, um, setting the stage for a satire that had a lot more bite than I expected. Yes, I can see why the North Koreans are uptight about it, because even though it's a comedy, it says all that stuff they don't want people to say. I loved it. I thought it was really funny. But I think what it allowed is the North Koreans... uh, view of America as well by that little girl yeah. singing because they do you know spread that kind of propaganda in that yeah. country anyone who's been a tourist there hears it from their minders I want to know about the actor that played Sung what is it Kim, Kim Jong-un Kim Jong-un Randall Park he's on yeah. Veep he's great yeah and what's it like to to take on that given all this scandal you know what I mean and then I thought the girl that played Sook was incredible. Yeah. I think her name yeah. is Diana Bank. Yeah. And she was hot and fun and lively. Really good performance. I laughed a ton in that movie. Yeah, people are really coming down on me for I don't, liking it. I don't... What movie <laughs> did they see? I don't... I feel like it's funny. Yeah. I laughed. Yeah. That Eminem scene at the beginning? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I think the satire is really sharpest at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, but then I love the multifaceted character that Randall Park created with Kim Jong-un. It's yes. like he has so many sides to him, and yet he's always shrewd and a step ahead of everybody, and that was interesting. There's a Katy Perry thing in it. I loved it. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Thanks for sharing your moments out of time, and if people want to read more of Glenn's excellent movie reviews, you can find him on Tumblr at Glenn on Film. And now let's go from movies to stage with my theater-obsessed buddy, Danny Casillas. I'm here with former podcast guest, Danny Casillas, a.k.a. Frida Lay from the Sketchy Queens podcast. And we talked a lot about Broadway um, when you were on the podcast, so I want to hear your um, year-end favorites from Broadway. But first, um, we just saw The Babadook. Oh, my God. And we're in a very dark hallway at the Sundance Sunset Cinemas. It's spooky. To try to get some privacy, but The Babadook may come and get us. That was a freaky movie. That was cool. I really liked that. Yeah, it was cool. It was very cool. All right, on to Broadway. Um, What would you say were your highlights of the things that you saw this year? Uh, You know, I'm forgetting one of my earlier trips, but... (laughs) How many trips did you make in New York this year? Uh, This year, I went... Three times, and then I've already got my tickets for next month. To That's go amazing. Lunch. Okay, three times in one year. It's okay. surprisingly cheap. I mean, I go when the airfare is low, and I stay with a friend, so it doesn't cost that much. Okay. But uh, definitely the highlights uh, this year were beautiful. That one surprised me. The Carol me. King musical. I, I want to see that. I was, uh, I don't want to see it. Then I saw it, and I, like, I loved it. Okay. Hedwig and the Angry Inch with Andrew Rannells. That's who you saw. You didn't see I, Neil, I Neil Patrick. Did, I didn't see Neil or uh, Michael C. And uh, How did Andrew do? He did really well. All right, that's a really that's a really great production. Okay, and um, my favorite this year is on the town. Ah, I hear it's exuberant, and the choreography and the dancing is very everything great, about supposedly. it is top notch. I love it. Okay, uh, that that was that made me feel like I haven't felt in a long time when you just leave that theater giddy and you're just jumping around and dancing like a fool. Did you cry for no reason, which I tend to do in musicals when I'm really into it? Uh, well, I tend to cry for happiness. When yes. everything's just like, boop, it's like, oh my God, you just feel yeah. so happy and you get overwhelmed and oh, it's just so exciting you want to jump in your seat. All right, cool. Awesome. Um, so what are you going to see next time you go out there? I'm all excited about uh, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Okay. Which I hear is a great show. And I put that on uh, my dream board because oh, I want to see it. Good. And that's uh, yeah. from the people who brought us War Horse. Okay. Which I really liked. And I'm really or excited. Or Chai Horse. <laughs> I went and saw that with Jackie Clark. 
a former podcast guest, and it was the show where we discovered how good the chais are at the Amundsen. Oh, my God. So every time we go to a play there, it's like a, a little my chai. Or, um, you know... <laughs> Did you cry in your chai? We just cried in the chai. So it's all we can think about is the chai that's coming in intermission. <laughs> oh, my God. So every show has the word chai in the title. And we that. just missed chai spirit. Yeah, the... I might see chai spirit with uh, <laughs> <laughs> a land spirit. But um, war chai was pretty good. Okay, tonight really excited me because The Babadook is a great horror movie just like uh, Let the Right One In. Yes. Is, and I'm going to see a stage version of that. It's oh, that's by cool. It's a Scottish uh, production company at the St. Edmund House. And I'm all excited about that. So. I hope it scares you. Me too. Um, it's yeah. exciting. The Babadook was freaky deaky. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to be the Babadook for Halloween, but you never quite get a good look at the Babadook. Uh, the, the drawings of them are pretty yeah, fun. Yeah, that's true. You do. All right. Well, thanks for sharing. What was the, was there, What was your biggest disappointment of Broadway this year? Um, the, the whatchamacallit, that Terrence McNally thing. It's only a play. You weren't star-studded. Oh, my God. I'm you not a big Nathan Lane fan, but... You weren't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it. Making all, all right. these, uh, It was just so... Not so blah. I know. It's uh, Forbidden Broadway without the music. Okay. I saw Rocky. I only, went to, I only went to New York once this year, and I think I saw, like, one show. I saw Rocky. I... Oh, no, I saw Disaster. I like Rocky. Disaster is fun. I saw Disaster, and that was fun. I think I saw, I had, like, three playbills at home, but yeah. And I'm sure you've torn the covers off of them by now. No, I haven't. You know I hate (laughs) when I do that. I didn't do that. Um, But I thought Rocky was very rousing. That was was like It was rousing. That last ten minutes was really spectacular. Yeah, the ring comes right out, but I think it closed. And I think Pippin's closing. Pippin's closing. Oh, my God. Was that this year, too, that I saw that? Yeah. Oh, I love that one. That was, too. Pippin was a show I thought I was tired of. And then I saw this for Andrew Martin. She was great to see. And this, I really like this production. It's and the tour was just, just as good with so many other people. All right. Well, um, when you go to New York in January, February, January, give January. my regards to Broadway. I shall. And go see the new Highline Rail Yards. I'm dying to get see there. It. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. I want to see it. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Okay. This next little treat in your Whitman holiday sampler of craziness is a tape I made when I was a kid. I would have probably been like 12 or 13. I think it was around 1977. And I did two takeoffs of those Dickie Goodman novelty records, you know, where he would ask a question and then the answer would be in a hit song from that moment, some lyric. Well, I um, did one about Star Wars and one about Farrah Fawcett. So that'll give you an idea of what time it was. Um, Some of it's funny. Some of it's weird. Um, my friend Doug Alexander appears in the Farrah Fawcett one, and I think he's better on the radio than I am. And I can say that now because he is. Anyways, um, there's one weird song that I use in both parodies. It was the flip side of the Terry Jacks single, Seasons in the Sun. Remember that song? We had joy, we had fun. Okay, so the flip side was called Put the Bone In. And I don't know what that song was about, what that title was about. I don't know. I never really paid attention to it. But I did know that that sounded dirty. So I used that in both parodies to make a dirty joke about intercourse because I'm 12. And it's weird because no one knows that song and you can barely understand it. So when it sounds like I'm leading up to a song called Put the Bone In, that's probably because I'm leaning toward a song called Put the Bone In. And I thought it was really edgy, you know? I read Mad Magazine. I get this stuff. So, um, enjoy.
Hello, this is Dennis Hensley, and I'm surrounded by the making of that marvelous movie, Star Wars. I'm now talking to Luke Skywalker. Luke, when did this story take place? on the door. 
This will answer in a second. Okay, here I go. Okay, inside of the door, I do think I hear Lee saying something. Oh, please, Miss Vet, please let me in. Come on, man, come on. I'm for station WDEN, and we'd like an interview with you two, please. Okay, okay, the first question, Lee, is what is your analysis of that? Yeah. Okay, Fair, how do you like to wear your pants? Okay, Lee, your marriage has been kind of bouncy, so what is your philosophy after this terrible experience you've had? Angels, what do you plan to do? Guess who accidentally just dropped by? The cast and crew of Charlie's Angels. Angels, what are your feelings for towards Fair quitting her show? Okay, I'm now talking to Cheryl, talking to Cheryl Lab, the girl who took over Fair's spot as one of the angels. Cheryl, how did it feel to join the cast? <laughs> Charlie, what is your state of mind after being around all these beautiful women? Heaven on the seventh floor. Okay, everybody. What is your feeling of how the show's popularity has been growing lately since Farrah quit the show? And finally, Farrah, what is your most prized possession? And that's just how it ended with hair. There was no outro or anything. But I guess, you know, you end with the Farrah hair joke, you're kind of done, I think. Okay, so back in, like, August, when I interviewed the singer Sam Harris about his book, uh, Ham, which you should all read if you haven't, um, I told him that I once recorded a demo of one of his songs, The Rescue, uh, while I was working on a cruise ship. And I was literally singing in the shower... And the guy recording it and playing the keyboard was in the cabin part. And we recorded this little demo. And I finally found the cassette. And I was able to turn it into an MP3. And I'm going to play it for you now. However, a little disclaimer. I think the cassette thing, I think it makes it sound like it's kind of changing keys or something. The cassette doesn't play that consistently. So it sounds, I don't know. I think I go sharp and flat unwittingly. Not that I wouldn't totally do it wittingly. I would totally do it wittingly. So there's that. But I think for a cruise ship demo recorded in a shower back in the 90-ish, maybe like 
around the early 90s. Uh, it's pretty good. And we also did another couple of songs. I'm going to include one other one on there. Um, the Barry Manilow song, When October Goes, which I really loved. And what I love about this demo is that there's a trumpet solo. Yeah, we had a trumpet solo. And I remember literally sliding out of the way in the shower in the cruise ship bathroom and the trumpet player poking in. And you could kind of hear him move if you listen. So anyway, here's a couple of demos from cruise ships that I mentioned back in the Sam Harris podcast. And because of your generous donations, I was able to buy that kooky device that transfers cassettes to MP3s. Okay, hope you enjoy. Stop the bleed. 
it that's my year-end holiday mashup podcast of dennis anyone i want to thank all the guests who appeared today and also all the guests who have appeared through the whole year they've really been amazing 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 to talk to i want to thank you all for listening you can follow me on twitter at hensley dennis instagram dennis c hensley uh like the dennis anyone facebook page that would be awesome and just keep on listening and hopefully we'll have big things coming up and continue to grow it and continue to enjoy it. So thank you again. And this has been Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. Bye.